Good day and welcome to the United for the Messiah podcast. My name is Edward Davies and today we will be doing a Bible study of Proverbs chapter 15. And as we get into the study of chapter 15 today and as you find your way to the passage, let's remind ourselves of the layout of this book of wisdom. Most of the book of Proverbs were written by King Solomon with the exception of chapters 30 and 31 which were written by Agur and Lemuel respectively. Solomon does however convey some valuable wisdom that he learned from his father King David to his son in these chap- in chapters ni- 1 to 9 of the book of Proverbs. In Proverbs 1 to 9 we have 10 speeches from a father to his son in a way of instruction. Therefore in the first 9 chapters we can still find sections of scripture which in itself form themes. However from chapter 10 onwards especially between chapter 10 and 22 we get to the portion of the book of proverbs which is basically a collection of hundreds of short sayings of wisdom which is sort of a reference guide in how to apply wisdom in the fear of the lord we remember in proverbs 9 verse 10 where solomon told his son that the fear of the lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the holy one is understanding tonight why we are in this portion of proverbs where there is seemingly no central theme. Therefore, I would just like to mention one more thing before we start our study of chapter 15. It is important for us to understand how to read and understand these Proverbs, in order for us to have a balanced expectation of these sayings. Proverbs deals with probabilities. In other words, if you follow the way of the Lord, or for example, if you have wisdom, or if you fear the Lord, things will generally go well. And vice versa, if you lack wisdom and understanding, things will generally not go well. Therefore, this is important to understand. Proverbs are not promises or guarantees. For example, Proverbs 10 verse 27 says, The fear of the Lord prolongs days, but the years of the wicked will be shortened. This is generally true, but not always. There are exceptions. Proverbs 22 verse 6 tells us, that to train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old he will not depart from it. Once again, this is generally true, but not always the case. There are exceptions. So the book of Proverbs, once again, deals with the general rule, not the exceptions. And this is where the Bible is awesome. And we know that this collection of 66 books, which was written by over 40 authors, over a period of about 1,500 years, is the divine revelation of God. It was inspired by the Holy Spirit and it forms a complete guide for godly living. And why do I say this? I say this because where Proverbs deals with the general rule, the Bible is not silent about the the exceptions. The exceptions are dealt with within the books of Job and Ecclesiastes, which also form part of the books of wisdom in Scripture, as as you may know. So I felt led to share this just in case something ever happens in someone's life which is contrary to the wisdom found in this book of Proverbs um, and that that person perhaps will start thinking or believing that the Bible is not true. It is important to understand the context and purpose in which a portion of scripture was written and that's why I enjoy uh, listening to and teaching expositionally so that the hearer understands the context of the of this passage of scripture as well. So with that Rather long, but I think a necessary introduction. Let's start tonight's study by 
reading from Proverbs 15, verse 1. Verse 1. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. This is very true. In my current job, I work as a, in a in service industry. I often have to meet with irate customers who have gone through the entire customer service escalation process, but who have not yet come to a favorable outcome. At this stage, it is my privilege, and I have to say that tongue-in-cheek, to deal with these customers because they are sometimes very angry, they are very emotional and beyond reason. And one of the things that I have not yet failed me in these meetings are to handle these customers in a very friendly and a very calm and a gentle manner, regardless of whether they may be swearing or are aggressive or just rude. When I provide a gentle and empathetic answer, they always calm down. And this is something I do naturally, but this is also something that they will teach you in a conflict management course. Well, guess what? Solomon taught us this principle about 2,700 years ago. <laughs> Talk about the Bible being relevant in all ages. The Hebrew word that was translated as soft in this, uh, in this verse can also be translated as gentle. It's not surprising then that we find that gentleness is one of the fruits of the Spirit, as mentioned in Galatians 5 verse 22 to 23. In Matthew 11 verse 29, Jesus said, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. In 2 Corinthians 10 verse 1, Paul wrote and said that he himself is pleading with them by meekness and gentleness of Christ. Once again he is referring to the nature of Jesus. Paul told the Philippian church to let their gentleness be known to all mankind. In Philippians 4 verse 5. So to be gentle is not the opposite of being strong. Some see gentleness as weakness. On the contrary, Jesus as well as Paul was gentle, but when it was required, they were firm and strong in their actions. And that was for the sake of the kingdom of God. If we are striving to be Christ-like, which should be our natural desire if we have been born again, then we should strive to be gentle. On the Christian road of sanctification, we should find ourselves naturally becoming more and more gentle as we grow in Christ. Verse 2 The tongue of the wise uses knowledge rightly, but the mouth of fools pours forth foolishness. In one of our previous studies in the book of Proverbs, we learned that the definition for wisdom is the correct application of knowledge. Therefore, a wise person will not only possess knowledge, but will know when and how to use it. But it goes beyond the intellectual capability of, or of discernment. It is a matter of the heart. In Matthew 12, verse 34 to 35, Jesus tells the Pharisees, How can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. So therefore the question is, is your heart full of Christ? Or is Christ a priority in your life? If it is, you will without a doubt apply knowledge better than when or if you were unsaved. Verse 3 The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. This proverb speaks about God's omniscience and His omnipresence. Omniscience means that God is all-knowing. And omnipresence means that God is everywhere at once. 
These concepts are hard for us to understand because we are bound by our experience of a four-dimensional universe. We experience height, width and depth. And as Einstein revealed later on, we experience time as a fourth dimension. But God is outside of these dimensions since he created this physical world as well as the dimensions we experience, even those dimensions we do not experience. Scientists, scientists now believe that um, we've got many more dimensions than just four dimensions. Therefore, since God created everything, it is logical that he can oversee everything, he can know everything, as well as he can be everywhere at once. Even if we cannot fully understand or comprehend this, this proverb should be taken as a truth statement and it should help us shape a biblical understanding of God. God is not, as many people would like to believe, whatever you want him to be. God has revealed his nature and his will to us in his divine revelation, which is the Bible. Verse 4 A wholesome tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. Now verse 4 follows along the lines of verse 2, in that it also has to do with speech. The exact same word in Hebrew translated here as wholesome was translated as sound in Proverbs 14 verse 30. Therefore a more literal translation of this proverb can be sound speech is a tree of life. So we know how an encouraging, loving and endearing message can build up our spirits and on the flip side of the coin how quickly a harsh, rude and un un unempathetic message can break down our spirits. As ambassadors of Jesus Christ, we should always aim to bring healing to others. It's interesting, uh, interestingly then that we are reminded that the phrase tree of life is also used in Revelation 22, where it describes a tree of life in the New Jerusalem. John, through Jesus Christ, reveals to us that the leaves of this tree are used for the healing of nations. Now we should be as this tree of life, in that the words we speak should continuously bring forth healing to the nations, especially through our witness and, uh, um, and the gospel message that we share. Verse 5 A fool despises his father's instruction, but he who receives correction is prudent. Now as I said, Proverbs deals with a general rule. Therefore the father who gives the instruction in this case is talking about a loving father who is sharing his knowledge and wisdom to his son or daughter for their benefit. And this was exactly what Solomon was doing in chapter 1 to 9 of the book of Proverbs. Therefore, a person who ignores and even despises such instruction and advice of, 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 of this nature is a fool. The Bible says such a person is a fool. But a person who is open to and receives correction, such a person is wise. Now, something to think about. How much more relevant is this proverb with regards to our Heavenly Father's instruction? which we have in our hands or at our fingertips. And I'm talking about the Bible. Let's be wise and receive and study God's word to ensure we understand God's general will for our lives. Let's not despise our Heavenly Father by neglecting His word. And here I'm speaking to myself firstly of all as well. Verse 6 In the house of the righteous there is much treasure, but in the revenue of the wicked is trouble. So sometimes God decides to bless believers with material wealth. Abram was a good example of this. He was extremely wealthy. He could form an army out of his servants. But it is not always the case. In the case of a believer, even if that person does not have much in terms of possessions or material wealth, 
If he has grace, it is worth more than all the treasures in the world combined. On the other hand, if you go about scheming and trying to make money by corrupt ways, you will be stressed and you will be anxious. And if things go wrong, um, there may be even physical consequences by those you have wronged. Or it could simply mean that your conscience will eat away at you. I think the Apostle Paul explained it best in 1 Timothy 6 verse 6 to 10. Listen to what he says about contentment and about those who blindly pursue riches. He says, Now godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness, and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. In essence, whether you have much earthly treasure or not, if it is well with your soul, as that I don't know if you if you know that soul, uh, uh, no, that soul, sorry, that song, um, that hymn that we often sing in in church. It declares that we will have more joy than someone who, who's who has treasure, but it has gained it through unethical or unlawful ways. Verse seven, the lips of the wise disperse knowledge, but the heart of the fool does not do so. I like how Matthew Henry puts it. He says, This verse, together with Proverbs 15 verse 2, shows what a blessing a wise man is and what a burden a fool is to those about him. <laughs> I, th I think that's quite, quite a description. In other words, a wise person will build others up by sharing information and teaching others, but a fool will be selfish enough to keep that knowledge to him or herself. And I'm sure you've, you've come across some people such as that. So we will look at verses 8 and 9 as a pair. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. The way of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but he loves him who follows righteousness. Notice it does not say that God hates the wicked, or that the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. He rather says, the sacrifice and the way of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. It has to do with your heart. God loves the sinner, but he hates the sin. The truth is, if you are unsaved and you do not live by faith, then you are following your own selfish desires, even if you think you are being selfless. You are not focused on or even concerned about the Lord's will. But when you become a new creation, and I... And I need to inter interject here you can only become a new creation by grace alone through faith alone in Jesus alone then you are saved at that moment your priorities and your focus start to shift the prayers of such a person is the light to the Lord and it says the Lord loves him who follows righteousness if we read this verse quickly we can misunderstand it to mean that God does not love the wicked but he loves the righteous but the Hebrew word for love talks about a love as unto a friend. Therefore the Lord, and this is awesome, listen to this, the Lord loves the righteous person as a friend. Verse 10. 
Harsh discipline is for him who forsakes the way, and he who hates correction will die. Now here's another grain of truth about God. God disciplines his children for good. In Proverbs 3 verse 11 to 12, Solomon wrote, um, uh, wrote about this to his son. He said, My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor detest his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, just as a father the son in whom he delights. And then the author of Hebrews quoted the same verse in chapter 12 of Hebrews, and it tells us that God disciplines us for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. It is for our own good, once again. And just another small note here, not every trial or tribulation we go through in this, in this life is a way of the Lord disciplining us. Or is the Lord disciplining us? Sometimes the Lord allows trials and tribulations in our lives for other reasons. And I'm adding this in here as well, because some people, and even some churches, teach or believe that if someone is going through a trial, it must mean that they have either sinned or they don't have enough faith to overcome it. And with all due respect, this is absolutely not true and it's not something that is taught in scripture as a general rule. And um, it, you are sometimes disciplined as the scripture does say here and sometimes God allows other things in your life and he uses it for good. So um, both is true, uh, but we cannot put too much too much emphasis emphasis on the one or the other. We need to be um, discerning, and uh, we cannot <laughs> we cannot make a judgment as to say which one it is. Then the second part of this proverb, the way I understand it, speaks about those who have hardened themselves toward the truth. They hate correction. If they do not repent and turn to the Lord they will experience eternal death. And the next verse explains where they will experience this death. Let's read it. Verse 11. Hell and destruction are before the Lord. So how much more the hearts of the sons of men. In Hebrew, it is Sheol and Abaddon are before the Lord. Sheol in Hebrew um, is, Hades, is basically Hades in Greek. It refers to the same place. And we know from the account Jesus gave of the rich man and Lazarus, Lazarus that before Jesus conquered death by dying on the cross for our sins, Hades had two compartments. The one was called the bosom of uh, Abraham and the other, one, the other compartment was called the place of torment. And after Jesus overcame death, we know that now, once believer dies, he is immediately in the Lord's presence. So at the moment, the only inhabitants in Hades are the people who died as unbelievers. Now Abaddon is translated as destruction in this verse. And if you notice in your, King, in your New King James Version of your Bible, you will see it's in an, a capital letter. So it's a name. Uh, we get another reference to Abaddon in Revelation 9 verse 11. Listen to this verse. It says, And they had as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, but in Greek he has the name Apollyon. Abaddon here is referring to an angelic being. So in other words, if God has oversight of the temporary abode of the dead and the angel that and, and the angel that oversees it, how much more logical is it that God knows the hearts of each and every one of us that are alive? It once again talks about God's omniscience. Verse 12 A scoffer does not love one who corrects him, 
nor will he go to the wise. So I wanted to look up the definition for a scoffer. I know what it is, but I just wanted to see in, in relation to this verse. But the best definition I found was the Christian website called gotquestions.org. Um, many of you may know it, and if you don't know it, please go check it out. It's a great website. Um, they answer all types of questions, and if you have any questions, probably if you have a question, it's probably already answered there. And if it's not already answered, they, they will actually answer it for you. They will do the research and answer it. So it's a great ministry. But listen to what they say. They say the word translated scoffer in English can mean one who mocks, ridicules, or scorns the belief of another. In Hebrew, the word translated scoffer or mocker can also mean ambassador. So a scoffer is one who not only disagrees with an idea, but he also considers himself an ambassador for the opposing idea. So taking this idea of what a scoffer is, we see such a person does not love those who corrects him, nor will he go to the wise for wisdom or correction. We see evidence of this in the behavior of atheists today, for example. Verse 13. A merry heart makes a cheerful countenance, but by sorrow of the heart the spirit is broken. Now we spoke about the effect of a wholesome versus perverse speech upon our hearts in verse 4. This verse once again shows that the condition of one's heart can affect you spiritually as well as well as physically. Um, we also saw this in Proverbs 14 as well. This was handled in Proverbs 14 as well. Verse 14. The heart of him who, under, who has understanding seeks knowledge, but the mouth of fools feeds on foolishness. Hopefully you can relate to me in this regard. I have studied quite a bit in my life um, up to this point, but you soon realize that the more you learn, the more you start realizing that you actually know nothing or, or how little you actually know. And this is a very humbling experience, but at the same time it also spurs you on to gain a greater understanding and knowledge base. But then on the other hand, unfortunately you will find many other people who actually know very little of anything but then they will be self-proclaimed gurus and experts. And all I can say is, let us as believers always seek to have understanding. Verse 15 All the days of the afflicted are evil, but he who is of merry heart has a continual feast. Towards the latter part of the study, we will see some of the themes reoccurring. In this case, this verse follows the reasoning of verses 4 and 13. To this verse I will add that to truly have a merry heart or to experience true joy, we need to know Christ. So we will look at verses 16 and 17 together. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than a great treasure with trouble. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fatted calf with hatred. Now these two verses follow the same path of reasoning as in verse 6. But in essence, it's better to be content with little and have the joy and peace of the Lord in your life than to possess the whole world but you are troubled with anxiety or depression and whatever else would trouble a person's heart. Verse 18 A wrathful man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger allays contention. The issue of stirring up strife is considered such a serious matter within the church 
Paul made sure it was understood that such behavior within the church should be dealt with as a matter of church discipline. Listen to Titus 3 verse 9, uh, 9 to 11. Paul says, but avoid foolish disputes, genealogies, contentions, and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and useless. Reject the divisive man after the first and second admonition, knowing that such a person is warped and sinning, being self-condemned. Paul deals with the same issue in other places, such as Romans 16 verse 17. The preventative measure to ensure we as Christians do not fall into the category of someone who stirs up strife is, is uh, to live a Holy Spirit-filled life. And I mentioned the fruit of the Spirit earlier in the study, but let's quickly read it again in Galatians 5 verse 22 to 23. It says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And as Paul says, against such there is no law. Also, when you have these, these fruit manifested in your life, you won't fall, I can almost guarantee it, you won't fall into this category of someone who stirs up strife. Verse 19, the way of the lazy man is like a hedge of thorns, but the way of the upright is a highway. So God created within us a nature to work. In Genesis 2 verse 15 it reveals that God placed man in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it. Only after the fall of man did God say that work would become difficult and hard. But it is still God's design that we work as humans. So if someone is lazy, he or she goes against God's design for our lives, or for our nature basically. Basically they are in rebellion to God. Paul tells the church in Thessalonica, If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. That's in 2 Thessalonians 3 verse 10. Now the hedge of thorns in this Proverbs signifies the troubles a lazy person will encounter in their life. But for someone that is hardworking and diligent, the general rule is that the, that the road is smooth as a highway. Things are consistent for this type of person. Verse 20. A wise son makes a father glad, but a foolish man despises his mother. Now this verse complements verse 5, where it said a fool despises his father's instruction. Now we live in a time where foolishness abounds. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3 verses 1 to 5, um, and listen to what he says here. He says, but know this, that in the last days peril perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, Lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. Wow. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've read this verse a couple of times, or a lot, but this looks, and, and, and every time I read it, I can't help but wonder and, and realize that this looks like a description of the world we live in. This looks like our Sunday morning or our morning paper that we read. It's painfully accurate. Once again, as Christians, we need to strive to be as the wise son. In the midst of the type of people described in this verse I just read, we need to be a shining light in this world.
Verse 21 Folly is joy to him who is destitute of discernment, but a man of understanding walks uprightly. Now this is true. Some, someone who is undiscerning will be carried away with everything they are told. They don't know what, what truth is because they are not rooted. And with that they are not rooted in the truth. We should be rooted in the truth. And what is the truth? The truth is God's word. The word of God. Only then do we truly have understanding and true discernment. Verse 22 Without counsel plans go awry. But in the multitude of counsellors they are established. It is always wise to seek counsel from others, is both in the secular world and with regards to sp spiritual matters. In Proverbs 12 verse 15 we saw that the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he who heeds counsel is wise. Verse 23 A man has joy by the answer of his mouth, and a word spoken in due season, how good it is. And I hope you have experienced this before. When you are able to assist someone by giving them good advice, and even in time seeing the fruit of this good advice in their lives, then it brings a certain amount of joy to ourselves or to, to yourself. So let us strive to be as Paul explains to the Ephesians in chapter 4 verse 29. He says, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Verse 24 The way of life winds upward for the wise, that he may turn away from hell below. Now as Christians, as we grow spiritually, we become more heavenly minded. It is said that once we are born again, hell will never get closer. It will only become more distant as we mature in Jesus. And by this, it's not meant that you 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 can get more saved. I mean, your, your, the, the, your salvation happens once and you're secure in that salvation. But here um, it is referring to the principle of sanctification, as I mentioned before, as well. This is a process in which we become more and more holy. Or if you put it another way, it's a process in which we are more and more set apart from the unsaved world in order to focus on the eternal things. And once again, um, you, f for you that listen to my podcast regularly, um, you will know that I'm always intrigued and fascinated by the little details in Scripture. And I like to share it as well. So in this verse, there's also something very interesting and intriguing which I would like to share. It is interesting that the writer refers to hell below. It could be uh, purely poetic, but in another place hell is referred to as the bottomless pit. We saw that verse actually a little bit earlier t tonight uh, when we looked at the previous uh, verse that was talking about um, Sheol and Abaddon. So this is conjecture on my part, but it's not without, any, uh, it's not without biblical reference. I think there is a real possibility that the temporary hell or the place of torment mentioned by Jesus is at the core of, of our earth. Um, that is, whether it exists in any of the, the dimensions we can experience at this moment, I doubt, because if we die currently, we are in a temporary state of being a spirit without a physical body. So I doubt it is in a dimension we can experience at the moment. Um, but in reference of hell below, if you are anywhere on earth, the core of the earth is always below you. 
and if the earth is continually rotating <laughs> and you think about it it's entirely possible that this uh, pit is bottomless because the earth al always rotates it's just something interesting I don't know what you can do with that information um, except that in Revelation 9 it tells us about these weird locusts that come out of the abyss after a star which is probably a meteor um, that that, that uh, falls down to earth um, falls to earth and opened up the abyss or will open up the abyss and I just think the world is far weirder than we can imagine and the Bible gives us glimpses of this so if anyone ever tells you the Bible is not interesting or um, not relevant or it's just a, a boring uh, a boring s a bunch of um, historic events I mean they couldn't be further from the truth and um, I think the more you study the Word of God the more you find these little um, these little pieces of information that's interesting and relevant verse 25 the Lord will destroy the house of the proud but he will establish the boundary of the widow to understand this verse we need to un we need to understand something about the history of Israel when Israel was brought into their promised land God divided the land amongst the tribes we see this Joshua 13 to 21 deals with this in some depth God set these boundaries in place and God has specifically commanded his people about tampering with these boundaries in Deuteronomy 19 verse 14 God commanded that you shall not remove your neighbor's landmark which the men of old have set in your inheritance which you will inherit in the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess and in Isaiah 5 verse 10 we see how seriously God views such an action he says the princes of Judah are like those who remove a landmark I will pour out my wrath on them like water so now having a little bit of this background let's see what it means for this proverb we read this proverb as a unit therefore it is speaking about someone that is proud because they have profited from moving a vulnerable widow's boundaries in other words they have stolen land in those days the widows had few to no legal rights Praying on the weak and vulnerable is something so detestable to the Lord that the proverb says he will not merely remove the one who did this deed but he says he will destroy the house of the proud. As a church of Christ we should especially be looking out for the weak and vulnerable that does not have a voice and that's why we do these type of things. That's why we speak for the, for the vulnerable and that's why we... Um, we speak out against uh, things that are not right and where people are being um, you know disadvantaged verse 26 the thoughts of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord but the words of the pure are pleasant now here's another truth about God he can hear our thoughts that's why Jesus when speaking about adultery in Matthew 5 verse 28 said that if you even lust after woman you have already committed adultery with her in your heart so the first part of this proverb illustrates that everything starts out as a thought before it becomes an action as the second part of the proverbs illustrates we need to therefore ensure that our thoughts remain pure by keeping it on God and his word then the actions that will follow will be pleasing to the Lord verse 27 he who is greedy for gain troubles his own house but he who hates bribes will live 
Now this is talking about someone who is on the straight and narrow uh, versus someone that will do anything for financial gain. On the one hand, you have someone that is integrity and honesty and places his family at a higher priority than his or her career or even his or her wealth. And on the other hand, you have someone that is so obsessed with financial gain that they will risk the security of their own household in order to become rich or to progress in the corporate ladder. And, and I mean, I work in the corporate world at the moment. And I mean, I can see this. Uh, a lot of people get so obsessed. And I mean, I almost fell into this as well. It's so easy. It's so easy, even for Christians, that we take our eyes off the Lord and we uh, we start on a, on, a, on a path where we want to look we want to we do it with good intentions want to just look after our families and then we get so obsessed with our careers that um, it's easy to start neglecting your family luckily um, luckily I've sort of that I sort of took care of that before that happened and um, the Lord has kept me for, from that However, that's so easy to fall into that sort of trap. We need to be careful not to make money or our careers our idols. Once we have done this, our priorities shape the actions we take. Verse 28. The heart of the righteous studies how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours forth evil. This proverb complements the one in verse 2. It just once again highlights the fact that your mouth will overflow from what the heart is full of. Fill your heart with Christ, then you will have no problem. Verse 29 The Lord is far from the wicked, but He hears the prayer of the righteous. So tonight we have already read a proverb that describes God's omnipresence and His omniscience. God knows everything and He is everywhere. However, God has given us a free will as well. If we choose to draw close to Him, He will respect us and make Himself known to us through goodness, through grace, peace and joy. But if someone rejects God and wants nothing to do with Him, then God will also respect that decision and He will not make Himself known to us. And look at the nation of Israel as an example. When they were faithful to God, God blessed them abundantly. And when they were unfaithful, God allowed other nations to take them into captivity and so on. We see the same today. We see the same even in our nation, which is not a Christian nation. If people openly oppose or refuse to submit to God, then God will not force them, but then He's not also not going to pour out His blessings upon them. Verse 30 The light of the eyes rejoices the heart. And a good report makes the bones healthy. Now this proverb is, a, is what is known as a restated proverb. Meaning that the second part restates the first part. Therefore we know that the light of the eyes that rejoices the heart is similar to a good report that makes the bones healthy. Now the word used for light in this verse is used elsewhere in scripture. And... I mean, this is a very interesting verse, and listen to this. The same Hebrew word is used 20 times in Scripture. Except for one other reference in the books of poetry, it refers to um, heavenly lights, so stars or planets that reflect lights, um, eight times. But most significantly, it's used ten times in reference to the menorah, 
The menorah is a is a, the sevenfold lamp that was in the tabernacle of Moses and which was later used in the temple. Um, you would have probably seen this before. Um, you get menorah sort of um, replica candle holders that some people put in their churches as well. Um, so you've probably seen this. But to me this piqued my interest because in, he in Hebrews 8 verse 5 when we learn we learn that the tabernacle and the temple were only copies and a shadow of heavenly things. So let's look at this very briefly. Where in the tabernacle was the menorah? It was in the holy place. And if we do a study on this, we see that the holy place was a representation and a reminder of the presence of God. Now the menorah was always to be filled with pure olive oil. And the priests were to keep it filled all the time. We learn from other places in Scripture in Zechariah 4 that the oil is a type of the Holy Spirit. So the menorah was, if, if, you, if you know the layout of the, of the tabernacle or the temple, in that holy place, the menorah was the only source of light in that holy place. The light of the menorah was or is a type of Jesus Christ. In John 1 verse 9, Jesus is the, it says Jesus is a true light which gives light to every man. And in chapter 9 verse 5, in John 9 verse 5, it says as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So what does this light illuminate? Or what did this light of the menorah illuminate in the, in the tabernacle or the temple? One, it illuminated the table of showbread. And that was a type of the bread of life, in, which is referred to in John 6 verse 35. That signifies Jesus feeding us through the Word of God. Since He is the Word, we see that in John 1. So Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, will illuminate Scripture for us. Then the other object that was illuminated was an altar of incense, where incense is a type of prayer and worship in Scripture. We see that in examples of where we see this in Scripture is in Psalm 141 verse 2 and Revelation 8 verse 4. Jesus has, through His sacrifice, made it possible for us to come directly to God the Father in prayer. We don't need a priest to intercede on our, half, our behalf anymore. So if we consider this imagery in the context of this proverb, then it's reasonable to say that the good report that makes the bones healthy is when we have the full measure of the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. When we are filled with the, with the Holy Spirit, the Word of God is open to us and He opens our hearts to truly pray to Him in spirit and truth. We then experience the closeness and the presence of God more and more as we grow spiritually. It is this good report, which is really the gospel of Jesus Christ, that was modeled in the tabernacle that makes us spiritually healthy. Verse 31 The ear that hears the rebukes of life will abide among the wise. Now this verse complements verses 5, 10, 12, 20 and 22 of this chapter. Therefore I will not comment anything else on this verse. Uh, verse 32 He who disdains instruction despises his own soul, but he who heeds rebuke gets understanding. So another quote from Matthew Henry um, for tonight, <laughs> but it's a good one as well. He says, sinners undervalue their own souls, therefore they prefer the body before the soul, and wrong the soul to please the body. That's his commentary on that verse. 
And then the last verse for tonight is verse 33, which says, The fear of the Lord is, in, is the instruction of wisdom, and before honor is humility. In Proverbs 9 verse 10, we saw that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And Jesus dealt with the gist of the second part of this proverb, which is before honor is humility. In Luke 14 verse 11, Jesus said, For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. This is a truth for this life. A Christian should always strive to be humble and act with humility. But ultimately this is true in an eternal sense. In Romans 8 verse 17 Paul writes, he says, And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. In other words, in this life we may be mocked or ridiculed or persecuted and so on. But at the end of the day we have a sure hope in Christ and we will be glorified with him. That is the, that is the sure hope we hold on to. And that brings today's study to an end. Thank you for listening to the United for the Messiah podcast. If you enjoyed this study and if you would like to listen to um, any of our previous or upcoming podcasts, please subscribe to our channel. You can find us at uh, potpoint.com where we are hosted and you can search for United for the Messiah or you can search for us under iTunes or Apple podcasts also under United for the Messiah and uh, we also have a Facebook page same name and uh, um, we also have a website which is really a website where we share free Christian resources but we we share resources that are grounded in the Word of God um, that's uh, solid Bible based resources and you can find that at our website it's uniform.org and uniform is an abbreviation it's u-n-i then the number four and then the letter m dot org uniform.org thank you very much god bless and have a blessed week